Hello and welcome to the Unsackable Podcast. I'm your host, Manuel Fate, and I'm once again joined by Filippo Silva. Filippo, how's it going this week? Hey, Manuel, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. I'm looking forward to this episode. I have a lot of things to say about my favorite PE teacher, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. And I'm also excited because you're going to talk a little bit and update us on Ricardo Pepe's transfers, transfer updates, because apparently, according to the media here in the U.S., every freaking club in the universe is interested on Ricardo Pepe. So I'm looking forward to you updating us on that a little bit. Yeah, I'm not sure there is much to update, but I will do my best. Um, but before we jump into this topic and a ton of other topics, let me let me introduce the rest of the panel. Well, Josh, Joshua Denning is joining us from JGTV, JJD TV. Joshua, that's uh, a pretty complicated name to say if you have to say quick on a podcast. But how is it going? Uh, I, I like the effort, though. I mean, <laughs> it rolls off the tongue when you when you say it enough. It definitely JGTV, does. You know, it is, I, I, I might not even be saying it right myself, but um, but yeah, I'm, I'm doing good today. I'm excited to be here. Like Filippo uh, uh, alluded to, we're gonna have a we have a lot to talk about. A lot of fun stories that I'm curious to see your guys' takes on, and and I'm excited to get into episode two here. Yeah, I'm really excited too. And um, let's bring in the final person on on this full house that we have once again, um, Adrian Sosa from Rabona TV. Adrian, how's it going? It's going well. And I can attest to the fact that JJD TV is very difficult to say live. One time I had him on my channel for a live stream and I ended up calling him Jay because I was so bamboozled by his YouTube channel name. So I, I feel for you, Manuel. But uh, yeah, I'm really excited like the rest of the guys. I know that we've got some PSG to talk about here, which I've been doing a deep dive on them. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we definitely have PSG to talk about because um, we like to talk about unsackable or maybe sackable managers. Actually, this week we get to talk about a manager who has gotten sacked and since been replaced. But before we talk about that particular person, we need to talk about a guy who just doesn't want to get sacked. He's so unsackable that he can lose 0-5 to his biggest rival, to his club's biggest rival, most historic rival. Uh and still has the job, still is given another chance. Um, Filippo, I feel like I have to go to you first because you are our in-house Manchester United fan. How do you feel about what went down the last 48 hours where essentially it looked like the club had contacted Antonio Conte, um, but then all of a sudden the news today is that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is going to get one more game against Tottenham. What, what do you make of all of that? Yeah, it seems like Manchester United as a whole, their standards just got lower, right, than they were throughout history. When you go back to the Sir, Sir Alex Ferguson era, it almost seemed like the standards were all no, the standards were always high. Management was good. It seemed like everything was stable. And now we're just this complete mess, right? I was going to curse here, and I avoided cursing on the podcast. But the, the thing with it is, everything's a mess when you come when it comes to transfers, when it comes to Oli's tactics, right? So he puts a player like Cristiano Ronaldo, and then he puts two wingers that play almost as inverted. Well, they're inverted forwards, so they pretty much play as strikers with him. You spend all that money on Jaden Sancho, Donny van der Beek, and maybe you could assign the Declan Rice to play as a six, as a holding midfielder that we truly need. It's just a complete mess. And then you go against Liverpool. You lose 5-0. If it was any other era of Manchester United, I don't know what would have happened. I think the coach would have been sacked, especially because it's not – a topic that it's not really a result that we weren't expecting, right? We were expecting Manchester United to get crushed, especially when he started the McFred midfield once again. And there you have it. And it seems like it's, it's what you said, Manuel. It seems like he is unsackable. That's what it seems like right now. And he might win against Tottenham. 
talent might bail him out and he might get another life on Manchester United and continue to be the coach, the manager, sorry. Yeah, it's the, the it was the biggest home defeat um, for Manchester United in in Premier League history, and um, we we crunched some of the numbers. It was one of the biggest defeats by a team with a market value over three hundred million euros. Um, doesn't doesn't happen a lot. Really doesn't happen a lot. And um, Adrian, I feel like I have to go to you. There was one meme that I saw that that got me laughing. Uh, yesterday, it was Oligona Solskjaer waving his hands in the air. And then you saw that the camera switched to Ronaldo and he was waving his hands in the air. And um, the, the Times reported yesterday that the dressing room has likes him as a person, but has deep mistrust about his tactical knowledge. Um, how did you see all of this? So, yeah, it, it, it's when when the players are starting to question the coach or the manager, you got a problem right there, right? And the board has to act upon it. You start to lose the locker room. I know I've heard that Oli has said that he's not the one that does the tactics, right? I believe it's Michael Carrick. Uh, regardless, he's the manager. He's the guy in charge. And it, it's a sign that if they like him as a person, but they don't respect his tactics, how far can he take this team, right? When you have the players and you have... There's quality in this roster. There's a lot of quality in this roster. I don't think anyone denies that. It's not a team to lose 5-0 to Liverpool. Could we lose to Liverpool at home? Yes. Is it acceptable? Not really. But 5-0, man. Um, what I, I tend to say this. When one player is bad, you can blame the player. When two players are bad, you can still blame the player. Three players. When the whole team is bad, you got to look into the manager. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're dead on there, Filippo. And the fact that... You know, one of the things that you mentioned was that he had the team sort of behind him and they and they like him as a manager. But what we're starting to see now is all these players that have, you know, started to flourish under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, at least in comparison to how they were doing under Mourinho. Guys like Luke Shaw, you know, we had Pogba doing so well in that very early stint under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Uh, Bruno Fernandes, of course, has been killing it under Solskjaer. But now we're having these guys, all of them, speaking about how the tactics aren't right. We had David De Gea saying that they were playing like children out there. And you could see it in the way that they were playing. You know, they didn't have a cohesive press. And, you know, the number one rule of having that sort of high press is that you have to do it as a team. And when one player doesn't do it, you just get picked apart. So you're starting to see all the players now highlighting the fact that the tactics aren't on. Luke Shaw said it. Pogba said it after Leicester and Pogba has now been benched because of that for two games straight. So it's interesting now. It's it's who's backing him. It definitely feels like the major sway. And this is what guys, you know, like Fabrizio Romano and, and Laurie Whitwell and others are saying that it's, it's Sir Alex Ferguson that's saying, give him another chance. If he does well against Tottenham, which there's a good chance that he does because Tottenham isn't exactly in a great place either. If he does well there, see how he does against Atalanta. But after that, it could be another embarrassment against Matt against Manchester City, sorry. Yeah, of course, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer got, got defeated 6-1 last year by, by Tottenham and then bounced back and guided Man United to a second-place finish. And I think Sir Alex Ferguson, he obviously remembers his own career. He was at, on the verge of being sacked and then you know, guided United to the golden era um, where they became the record champions of England and all that. And I think maybe he, sometimes um, older statesmen of clubs, they, they see something 
in another person and uh, they they kind of hope that they can reflect what they have done before and be interesting to see if um sir alex, sir alex got that right I, i'm i'm not convinced at all i think the moment the dressing room has doubts about their manager that's when things are unfixable if you, you know if players are saying he's a nice guy but he, he doesn't have the tactical knowledge it's the same thing with uh, Frank Lampard last year, right? And then Tuchel came in and it, it was like an instant switch in terms of what Chelsea were doing on the field um, as opposed to what happened before. So I have to kind of ask in the round and maybe like bring Josh in here real quick as well. Um, all three of you, your assessment, Antonio Conte, what do you guys make of him as potentially coming in? I personally think, and this sounds really harsh in my personal opinion, and Please feel free to disagree with me. I think Antonio Conte is quickly going down the Jose Mourinho route where he is very, he's a quick fix. He'll get that team back together, but he's not a long-term solution either. So yeah, Josh, maybe you, you first thoughts on that and then, then Filippo and Atria on you as well. Yeah. And I just want to say that um, I'd, I'd put, I'd put good money on the fact that, uh, that United is going to win at Tottenham and Ole's going to stay around for a little bit. But, but jumping aside that, I don't personally think that Antonio Conte is going to be an option because I just don't think he checks the boxes that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer does. He he is someone who, like I said, will not ruffle the feathers. He's the one who will just kind of go along and hopefully just get enough results to to get to that top four and pretend like he's competing for stuff. But I mean, we've seen a, a trend with Antonio Conte when he was at Chelsea, then when he went to Inter. I mean, he he demands a lot. He likes having a lot of money at his disposal, and I just can't imagine them putting him in charge. Maybe on a short term deal knowing that he's not gonna get any transfers just save our season but i still think they would rather ride it out with an Schulzer than to put antonio conte in for any type of long-term deal because he's just gonna ask for a ton of money and try to put his stamp on this team and i just don't think the board is willing to do that yeah Felipe, what do you think so me personally, I agree with everything Josh said. I'm not a big fan of Conte, regardless of the success of Inter Milan last season. Uh, personally, if I'm just going to, I'm not going to talk much about Conte. I think a, a long-term solution for Manchester United, and I could be completely wrong and feel free anyone to disagree with me. I th- I would bet my money on maybe getting Zinedine Zidane as a coach. I think he can manage stars. Knows Ronaldo pretty well as well and get Manchester United a good, solid holding midfielder, right? And go on a 4-3-3 formation. We do have the pieces for that. And I think if we get Zinedine Zidane and give him time, he can make it work. And I think Manchester United can be successful again. Oh boy, I have thoughts about Zinedine Zidane, but I think if I spell that out, then we will go over time. So I'm just going to hand it over to Adrian. Yeah, I think that Zinedine Zidane is an interesting one. Um, you know, he has a system that could potentially work for Manchester United and it's not too far away from, you know, the sort of shape that they utilize already. But the big problem there is, is that Zidane has said that he's not interested in managing at Manchester United. So on the other side of that, Antonio Conte is apparently interested in it. And, you know, I, I'm a little bit more optimistic that he could be okay at Manchester United, I think that he could definitely bring some results. It would take some adjusting. It would take some getting used to. You know, a lot of people point to the fact that he plays with a completely different shape from uh, what Manchester United is used to at the moment. But then you look, as mentioned, to Chelsea, where Lampard was playing typically a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1, and Tuchel came in with the three or the 3-4-2-1, tripping over numbers here. And uh, look at what he did to that squad. So Antonio Conte is a serial winner. 
Um, a lot of people speak of the longevity following his departure from clubs. I think that that is almost overstated just a little bit. But um, no, I think that Antonio Conte is better tactically than Oli. He's good at getting the most out of his players and he does instill a winning mentality. Look at what he did to Romelu Lukaku. Lukaku said that he changed him as a player. So you're seeing a bit of Inter, you know, maybe lacking a little bit in fight now that he's left. So I think that it could work. It's a question of whether United want to take that bet that uh, that Josh sort of alluded to. And will he, you know, demand too much from the club than they're willing to give him? Yeah, my final 50 cents on that maybe is that I think that in the past... I, I personally think that most Premier League teams are very poorly managed tactically. Um, United are a great example. And you saw how quickly Tuchel turned things around at Chelsea just by coming in and bringing in a little bit of tactical knowledge. And Tuchel is, of course, a, a very good tactically. And Tuchel is also a little bit of a technocrat. So I actually personally think that's what United would probably be best off of, a technocrat who just brings in a stable tactical formation. And when you talk 4-3-3, I think you have to look at Eric Ten Hag. Not that I think it's going to happen. I think he's not fancy enough of a name and he's not going to sell tickets for, for United, but I think that's what they need. But, you know, what else could be an option? And this is rather odd. Um, rather odd that we talk about this, considering that PSG are first in the table, um, seven points ahead of second place. And, you know seem on the surface all right but Pochettino and you know we have to talk about all sorts of stuff at PSG but Pochettino after a 0-0 draw against Olympic Marseille seems to be a little bit in trouble Adrian is that the right word to use or you know is he maybe enough in trouble that United could just wait out for him to be available again I mean, there's potential for that. So what's sort of happening over there is there's rumblings now that the dressing room are losing their faith in Pochettino a little bit. And if we look to the way he sort of ended his Tottenham career, I know it's Tottenham. So take what you will from managers failing there because no one has had a really easy ride since Pochettino either. But there's been a lot of talk about his his ability to get a cohesive game plan at PSG and sort of attack properly there's often seen as a big gap between the defense and the attack and speaking of which the, i mean the people who he has available to him in the attack neymar di maria mbappe uh <laughs> everyone really a messy if you will it's just not clicking at this moment and i think that it's safe to say at this point psg are sort of the the modern day galacticos les galactiques if you will and, uh, you know, someone who we mentioned earlier, Thomas Tuchel, he had his infamous quote where right before he was sacked, he said, am I still a manager or am I a politician in sport, a minister for sports? And he brought it up again recently when he was speaking of the difference between coaching Lukaku versus coaching Neymar and Mbappe when he said at PSG, I felt like I was the minister for sport. I had to also manage family members and friends of the stars. So... Managing at PSG in some ways, despite all of the talent, it really comes across as one of the most difficult jobs in Europe at the moment. Family members. Filippo, that sounds like Neymar. What do you think? Yeah, that's definitely Neymar. Uh, Neymar has what we call in Brazil his Barças, which are his friends that are always around. He pays for them to be there. Not for them to be there, but he pays all the costs for them. Neymar's sister, we know the stories about that. So, yeah, that's most likely 
a lot to do with Neymar. Definitely some other players involved. The thing with PSG is I I think they're doing exactly how I expected, right? They're controlling the French League. They're they're leading it with some comfort already. They're qualifying their group in the, the Champions League. I didn't expect them to be this spectacular team. You have a Neymar that doesn't want to play soccer anymore. People don't want to hear this, but it's the truth. Neymar just doesn't want to play soccer anymore. You have an unhappy Mbappe that wanted to leave and still wants to leave. You have an aging Messi, which regardless of being Messi, it's not the Messi in his prime anymore, right? Um, I don't even know if the coach is the problem, in my opinion. I think they're doing exactly as I expected um, from the start. And then you have a Sergio Ramos that hasn't even played yet. has been dealing with injuries from Real Madrid days in the past few seasons, and we're seeing that again. I think they're doing exactly as expected. Yeah, Josh. You know, both of us were a little bit outsiders when it comes to League O. But what did you make of this whole PSG thing? Because I think, especially when you look at it from a German perspective, um, we we all kind of looked at their transfer activity with raised eyebrows because they were spending enormous amount of money. Yes, they were a lot of them were free transfers. Um, first of all, free transfers don't exist anymore. That's not a reality. But it does... You know, when, when you when you usually watch a league where every team meticulously puts together their squads, and then you watch what PSG did, what's your whole impression of everything that's going on there? Yeah, it's it's interesting to see. I mean, it, it looked like you were you were playing FIFA 22 and you're on manager mode, and you just found all these unbelievable players to put together. But it's it's it makes in my in my opinion, like you guys alluded to, it, it makes it harder on the manager to find the right structure because there's now enormous amount of pressure on Pochettino to figure out a way to get to one make these stars happy to make sure that they click the game time's there you have a lot of big big egos um and, and Neymar is probably one of the biggest ones and Bappe as well who I think he's been rubbing people the wrong way even coming out and saying like he didn't even want to you know he won't be needed if they don't, he doesn't feel needed he won't be in the French team and the national team anymore and and now Pochettino's job is to make sure that everyone is working together and that gap between the the forwards and the midfield and the defense is, is absolutely there. And and I think Pochettino just isn't quite used to dealing with this because when he was, and he did find a lot of success in my eyes and in, in Tottenham, he did not have to deal with any type of egos like this. He was a, he was an overachieving manager at a, an average kind of, kind of team. So it just, it's, it seems very interesting. Uh, I kind of agree with Filippo that I didn't think it was gonna be all roses, but at the same time, there's so, so much talent with this PSG side that it, it, it should, and they should be playing better football than they are. You, you know what has been the most interesting thing about PSG, in my opinion? Um, and that's despite them signing all these stars and amazing players. Have you guys followed the whole Wanda Icardi story on Instagram? Incredible. War of the Roses. That's, in my opinion, been the most exciting thing about PSG. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just head to those two guys' Instagram account. I think um, it changes. I think they, they're together in the morning. They have a divorce at midday, and then they make up again in the evening and repeat. It's, it's wonderful. But um, let's talk about football. Thanks, Manuel. Before we get to that, let's take a look at a different kind of football. NFL fans, hungry for a big win this week? DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, has you covered. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game, and if they do, you win $200 in free bets. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. 
Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win with promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, Adrian. When, when, Josh kind of alludes to it. This whole star power thing. All these amazing players. And... You know, Incardi is one of them. Like, how can you even fit all these personalities? Like, the reason that I bring up Icardi this way is because this is literally the only way that we remember that he's there. Um, Josh brought up Sergio Ramos. Um, there's also Donnarumma who hasn't really played much. I, what What do we make of all of this? Yeah, I think that there almost comes a point in signing so many stars where you're almost hurting yourself more than you are helping yourself because you're just bringing up potential issues. Star players want to play all the time. They feel that that's owed to them in some sense. And when you have, for example, you have one of the best keepers in the world. Let's be fair to Kaylor Navas. He's one of the better shot stoppers in the world. And then you bring in a Gigi O'Donnarumma for what reason? I mean, Kaylor Navas has been passed around from Real Madrid to PSG for that reason when they brought in Thibaut Courtois because they thought he wasn't good enough. But quite clearly, he was. He's a multiple Champions League award winner. So, you know, bringing in a Messi, did they really need him? I mean, any team would take a Messi, but does it just cause more issues? Now Neymar has suddenly faded completely. Mbappe, he wanted to leave. I guess Messi was sort of, you know, bring him in now, get him used to the league, get him used to the competition. Um, I, I just don't understand it. And then you have an Icardi who has more highlights off of the pitch than he does on it for PSG at the moment. That Wanda situation is just ridiculous. And it's something that, you know, carried over from his time at Inter Milan as well. So I, I do feel for Mauricio Pochettino because it's a bit of a poison chalice, this job where, you know, domestic success doesn't mean much. The only thing is European success at this point, because it's the only thing they haven't been able to conquer and anything short of that, your job is going to be under scrutiny. Um, and with all the players that he has at his disposal, the assumption is that it should be easier for him when in hindsight, I don't think that it is at all. Yeah, me, my final thoughts on PSG, and it's going to be really interesting how the rest of the season works out for them. Um, I, I'm i just so captured by this whole Wanda Icardi story. I have to be honest, I've been watching that way more than them on the field. But I, I think my final thoughts on that is that I thought they were so close to winning the Champions League when they lost 1-0 to Bayern in that final in 2020. And it seemed almost like that's when they were also the closest to actually forming a unit that could do it. And they've almost responded to losing that final by, we're going to sign every star on the planet, no matter if it works or not. And it does remind me a lot of the Galactico era at Real Madrid. And we all know how that worked out. It just wasn't the right thing because you can't just sign all the best players and hope it works out. You have to have a plan. And I don't think they have a plan right now. And this is 
maybe my final thoughts, and it's going to be interesting to see how unsackable Pochettino is going to be. So, yeah, guys, uh, let's move on to the next topic. I'm joined here once again by Filippo Silva, Josh Deming, and Adrian Sosa. And we have to talk now about a coach who actually did get sacked. And we asked that question, if Mark van Bommel is unsackable. And yes, on Sunday, he was gone. Uh, I personally thought, and, and Josh, I'm going to bring you in right away here, because I personally thought, after I watched the Salzburg game, and we talked about that on Friday quite a bit, right? I thought, that's it. He's gone, right? Um, he did get another game against Freiburg. And I actually don't think it's the end of the world to lose to Freiburg because they at the moment are top four team in the Bundesliga. They play some of the best football. They always play some of the best football in Germany under Christian Streich. But I, for me, that final nail in the coffin wasn't necessarily the Freiburg result. It was the Salzburg result. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with you. And you and I have, have talked about this. I mean, he, he, he didn't deserve to get that job. Uh, and I think kudos to, to making that decision because I don't think that he has it in him to turn around this ship. They've gone eight games now without a, a win after that incredible start, got thrown out of the pokal and it went just straight downhill. I think the Salzburg one was definitely an eye-opener, but the I think it was almost um, a- almost nice to kind of see the him to get sacked after the Freiburg game because in my opinion, that's the definition of, because let's not kid ourselves, Wolfsburg has got a stronger side than Freiburg, but Freiburg is a much better coach side. And if you watch that match, I mean, it, it comes out and it shows. And if, if both of them can have a manager who could actually, you know, step up to the job at, at hand, I think that it'd be a different looking team. And in my eyes, Van Bommel got sacked and he absolutely deserves it. Uh, yeah, uh, 1.15 points per game for Mark Van Bommel and his time at Wolfsburg started in the worst possible way by making that substitution error against Preussen Münster, which cost uh, Wolfsburg the first round of the DFB Pokal. And the German Cup is a big deal in Germany because you earn quite a lot of money through it. And it's the only cup competition we have in Germany. It's not like France and England, where you have uh, multiple cup competitions, right? So that was, when I did my article for Forbes, I said that was the first nail in the coffin because Schmatke was very angry. Uh, Jörg Schmatke, the, 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 the director of sport at Wolfsburg. And... Um, then he made had four wins in a row in the Bundesliga, and ever then you know it kind of fell apart in the Champions League for them, in a group where I think they could still still advance. And you know we we spoke about all of this in the Gegen Pressing podcast on on Sunday. So if you want to find hear more about the actual sacking of Mark von Bommel and the lead up to that, you know, head over to that show. But one thing that I pointed out in that podcast was they would not, Schmatke would not do this, you know, knowing Schmatke a bit, um, he would not do this if he had, hadn't someone in mind already to replace Van Bommel. And Josh, um, he basically had someone in mind and he signed Florian Kofeld today on Tuesday. So 48 hours later, they have a coach ready made and ready to step in and, um, I have a lot of opinions about Kofeld. I personally think it's an odd choice again, maybe interesting choice because you know he he had a he was given a ton of time at Werder Bremen, basically too much as much time as he was needed to get Werder Bremen relegated, and now he's being given a second chance. What do you make of that hire? 
Oh, that's, that's a funny way you, you put it like that. But yeah, I mean, he was someone who came to mind when I was just kind of theorizing. I mean, his name came to mind as well as Lucien Favre, but I, I just didn't think that Favre was, was that interested in the, the Wolfsburg job. And Favre I, would I, have been the right choice, though, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think, And I think you're right. I think that realistically, I don't know if he's holding up for that Newcastle job or thinks he's got a shot there, but in my eyes, he, he doesn't. This would have been a perfect fit for him, and I think he could have got this this team with his experience back on the right track. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see how how Kovart does. To be honest, I mean, like you said, he had that great escape uh, a couple seasons ago from from saving them from relegation, but it, it just it went right downhill, and he got sent sent down last season. I I think that he's a young manager, he's a hungry manager, but I just don't know if, again if he's quite up to the standard of a, of a manager who should be taking over this talented Wolfsburg side. And it'll be interesting to see how he he can do. I don't think he can do any worse than Van Bommel did, and if I'm being completely honest. Uh, it'd be interesting to see what he's like working with with a, a better talented team than that Werder Bremen team, which in my eyes was a pretty poor team. But you, 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 like you mentioned, you can't really get away from the fact that he drove them down to to relegation, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, you're quite right. Maybe you know, going into a different environment and working with a more talented group will bring out some of the things that suit him. You know, sometimes because he's a Werder Bremen boy through and through isn't he and sometimes you have to step out of your comfort zone to to make the next step in your development so let's see how it develops i i, I as again i i, I follow Werder Bremen quite closely because our transfer market office is in hamburg which is just an hour away from um from bremen right so i went to the games and um, been following that story quite closely we have a lot of people working for us that are bremen fans including the founder of transfermarkt of all people is a, is a bremen fan so i followed that club story closely and then i always thought of kofeld like this is not going to end well and it didn't and i'm curious to see if he drew the right conclusions from this we have to touch of course when we talk about Wolfsburg. And this has been a big story. And I know, Filippo, you and I have been following the story quite closely. Ricardo Pepe, uh, I think if you are European top club, you've probably been linked to Ricardo Pepe from FC Dallas, who is in the top 10 of goal scoring in MLS as an 18-year-old, which is quite an achievement. You have to remember that, you know, like, yes, people like to poo-poo MLS a little bit, but at the end of the day, it's still a man's league. And if you do well there as an 18-year-old, that's quite an achievement especially for a club like Dallas, right, that haven't really been um, shooting out the lights. So I feel that every day I go on Twitter, some U.S. media links him to yet another club. I, I sense you have the same feeling about this, Filippo. Yeah, absolutely. And the issue I have with it, it just seems like the U.S. soccer media is desperate for clicks. And, and they truly are. They truly are desperate for clicks because, you know, the, the, the market is not that big in the United States yet. So they're trying to grab anything they can. So some news just become completely ridiculous. And based on if we go based on the U.S. soccer media, every club in Europe wants Ricardo Pepe. Every club in Europe has made an offer for Ricardo Pepe. So I know you have great sources and I know you've You've actually put out real news, right, in regards to transferring Ricardo Pepe. What do you know so far? I, I reported about it, I like, think the last time a few weeks ago, and I'm not someone who updates a story every time someone else right, brings up another club. So I'm just sticking with what I knew then. Um, here, here's what's going on. Bayern Munich have a cooperation agreement with Dallas, right? So they have in some 
they have in some ways an ability to sign these young players before anyone else can. And uh, in terms of Justin Jay, for example, they, they're probably going to bring him back in January. They really want him back. They are scouting Ricardo Pepe and they are very interested in him, right? Um, but at the same time, at Bayern, the path to being the number one nine forward, here's <laughs> a guy named Robert Lewandowski. You guys might have heard about him. He's quite good. Um, and he plays every single game because he's extremely fit as well. So that would be very difficult. And Bayern are very much aware of that. So uh, Wolfsburg have made an offer. They have reportedly, and I have confirmed this with sources, agreed personal terms with Ricardo Pepe. And Ricardo Pepe has since asked for a transfer, presumably to Wolfsburg. Now, the only other club, other than the two that I've mentioned, that have serious interest and have scouted him because they've been to Vancouver and been in that stadium and looked at him, I Ajax Amsterdam. And that's it. I, I can't add, I, I'm not going to be here and say Liverpool want to sign this guy or Manchester United want to sign this guy. It's like, he might be in their notebook. A lot of players are in clubs' notebooks, but, you know, when I see those news, that, that's why I don't go on Transfermarkt and update this stuff. You know, I... I think, I think there is those three clubs named, and I think Wolfsburg are very much in the driver's seat at the moment. Um, so yeah, this is this is where I'm at. I, I think Adrian, you 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 want to jump in here as well, real quick. Yeah, basically, I'm notoriously a bad North American in that I don't follow the North American game as closely as I probably should, and you know. Pepe is a name that I hear of so frequently. So I just wanted to ask Filippo, as someone who follows the U.S. men's national team and MLS and Manu, I know that you follow both very closely as well. Realistically, could he be able to jump into that first 11 at Wolfsburg or would this be sort of a signing and send him on loan type of situation? So I'll let Manuel talk more about Wolfsburg for sure. The little bit I've watched from Wolfsburg, he would probably be a benching a bench option for a while. Um, he would get opportunities, but he wouldn't come in and just slide into the starting eleven. In my personal opinion, it, that that's one of the reasons why I don't believe uh, him maybe going to Bayern would be the best option because we don't know if he would ever get minutes. Right? We know Bayern's standards are you have to be world class. That's the standard for Bayern for you to play. Uh, they don't play, well, I'm not saying Pepe's average, but they don't play average players or good players. They play pe- players that can play in a world-class level. So I, I don't think he would slide in right to the starting level of Wolfsburg. Could he compete? Possibly. But I would like to hear maybe from Manuel there because he follows Wolfsburg much more closely than I do. So he'd probably be a better one to talk about. And he probably knows about Pepe as much as I do. Yeah, I, I think that uh, Woodweghorst, is probably going to be moved on at some point um, for various reasons, not just because uh, of his on-field status, but uh, he's one of those guys who refused to get vaccinated and he's just been out for two weeks, right? So I think if there's an offer coming in, they're going to sell him. And that, that could open the way, but there's a few other guys um, that are doing quite well there. So um, I, I think he will be a rotation option. He will get playing time with Wolfsburg. Um, as for Bayern, People point at Alfonso Davies, right, and say, oh, yeah, he was a huge success there. It's a very different position. And also, he did spend almost an entire season with Bayern Munich's second team in the third division, right? And um, that is that is important to remember that Davies didn't make that jump right away. He was given quite a lot of playing time, but he didn't make that jump right away either. And for a striker, it's much harder to come in and, you know, 
get the minutes and develop. So it's just, yeah, I think Wolfsburg would be a good fit, but I think we have to remember too that day two, he will need time to develop. Right? It, is a, it is a jump. It's not the same if you're an attacking midfielder, central midfielder like Tyler Adams, for example, who made the jump immediately. Or if you play left back or winger like Davies, right? The, the margins of error are a little bit larger. So that's that's my final take on it. I think the, the last thing that we need to talk about um we will need to keep this quick because I know, Filippo, you need to run. Um, Josh, your final thoughts on Borussia Dortmund and them being out with Erling Haaland before we talk about El Clasico. Yeah, uh, terrible. <laughs> I mean, there's uh, there, there's not much else to really say. I mean, if, if he's out, I mean, there's been contradicting reports that are going around. And I think it's just, again, for clicks saying he's out for the rest of the year. And people think that that's, oh, he's out until next season. It's like, no, he's out till probably January. And that's a maybe. But it does look like he's going to be out for a good stretch of time. We don't know exactly how long it's going to be, but it's going to be a massive hole. This is a, a Dortmund team that's expected to compete. They're one point behind Bayern right now in what has been a very lackluster performance pretty much through the entirety of the season. And now they have to rely on Daniel Mullen, who was their big summer signing, who has been very, very underwhelming. Uh, he has not scored a goal in the league yet. And this is an opportunity where it's kind of like... You're going to get tossed in the deep end and you're going to sink or you're going to float. And it's going to be up to Daniel Mullen whether he wants to take that opportunity. But uh, if he doesn't and we can't find goals because it's very hard to replace Erling Haaland's goal input, then I think the title is going to just kind of slip out of even competition than it would have been if Haaland's there helping us challenge throughout the majority of the season. Yeah, I think you're quite right. Um, it's going to be difficult without Haaland. Um I think there's a story that we keep an eye on. You know, Haaland's injury history seems to be growing as well. But guys, we need to talk about the big one, El Clasico. Uh, is it still a big one? Because Barcelona, are they still a big club? Can we still call them that? Um, I'm not sure. But I know that all three of you have quite a bit to say. So um, maybe start with you, Filippo. Real Madrid, in the end of the day, win it. They seem to be in a much healthier position than Barcelona at the moment. What did you make of this game? So the result was what I expected in regards to Real Madrid pulling a win. It was 2-1 with Barcelona getting a late consolation goal. So essentially, we could even say it was 2-0. Uh, Barcelona did have some opportunities. Serginho Des could have opened the scoreboard early in the game. So... I think the problems with Barcelona are come down for when Bartomeu left, right? That was already an issue. It's out of the field. And when you go to Real Madrid, as much as we probably don't like Florentino Perez, the guy doesn't accept mediocrity, right? He goes, he tries to adjust as quickly as possible. And I think Real Madrid, when you look at the team, they're not that bad, right? It's not that bad of a team. There's a lot of young guys right there. Like the two wingers are 20 and 21, Vinicius Jr. and Rodrigo, which, by the way, Vinicius' evolution this season has been absolutely amazing. You got some young guys that they brought in, like Kamavinga. I thought that was a pretty good signing. You stuffed that veteran midfield with Casemiro, Toni Kroos, Luka Modric playing. They played the full 90 minutes, by the way, no Clásico. So I think Real Madrid is still a big club, and they're probably going to win La Liga. Now, to your question in regards to Barcelona, are they a big club now? I think they're a big club now because of their brand, the strength of the name Barcelona, but they don't play like a big club and they haven't for a while, right? And they're, I think they're up for a rough decade, somewhat similar to what we saw with another giant the past decade named AC Milan. 
What do you think, Josh? Yeah, I, I mean, Barcelona this year is the team I've, I've kept a real close eye on after, after Dortmund. It's just one of those disastrous situations you can't really keep your eye off of. But uh, I mean, reg- regardless, I think El Clasico will always be a, a worldwide event that everyone's going to enjoy watching. It's not near the quality it used to be, but I, I really think that Barca was kind of hard done by. I thought they had a pretty good game. I thought they came out relatively well. And it's just, it's one of those stories of the way the season's going for Madrid and Barca and Barca struggling. There's a lot of issues on and off the field, injuries, all that fun stuff. And then Madrid seems to not had a crazy amount of expectations this year with Ancelotti coming back, but they've been performing well. And I personally think the way that the run of play was going, if Dest would have took that massive opportunity, I think Barca could have definitely got a result, if not a win out of that. But they didn't take their glorious chance that came. And then two, in my eyes, defensive lapses, which letting Alaba have so much space where he took that beautiful, beautiful goal. But I look at uh, Oscar Mingueza not not tracking back. And then at, at the very end, I mean, I know they got one back with Aguero, but... Eric Garcia, I mean, Vasquez wanted the ball more. It's as simple as that. It was it was there for the taking. It was a 50-50 ball. Vasquez wanted it more, outdid Garcia, made it 2 nothing, and that pretty much ended it. But I don't think the performance was all doom and gloom for Barca. It's just it's just not falling their way this season, and I think that's why they're going to struggle to try to get in that top four place. Yeah, what do you think, Adrian? Yeah, I would agree with Josh in saying that. I think that Sergio Dest's chance at the very beginning was was vital. And had they converted that opportunity, it would have been a different game, potentially. Now, the one sort of asterisk next to that is that every single time that Real Madrid was countering, it looked like they could cut open Barcelona at will. And the fact that a centre-back in David Alaba was able to storm all the way up the pitch and have that much room in order to finish past Ter Stegen is quite the indictment of that Barcelona back line. Now, speaking of it not being all doom and gloom for Barcelona, I I would tend to agree with you, Josh, on that aspect because I think that you see the guys that are starting to come back, such as Sergio Aguero and Ansu Fati, Ushman Dembele. I mean, he's the forever injured one, isn't he? But if he does come back and if he does find some of that old form that he was able to, you know, when he was... In, in spurts, we've seen it at Barcelona, really. When he's on, he's great. But if he can get closer to how he was at Borussia Dortmund, that could be another boon to their attack. Their attack is not an area where I worry about them in the slightest. It's the it's the defense. You know, it's the defense where they're going to get exposed at a frequent weight, a rate. Sorry. So, yeah, I think that Real Madrid with that attack, you know, this is a Real Madrid that's playing Vinicius Benzema, one of the best players in the world at this moment, and Rodrigo. There's still Eden Hazard to come back for them as well. So the attack is looking tasty. Camavinga to slot into that midfield. The fact that that trio of Casemiro, Cruz, and Modric is still going in 2021. I think some Real Madrid supporters are tired of it. But, I mean, it's working. It is working. And credit to Ancelotti for being able to get some results out of this team when it was looking quite quite doom and gloom, to use that word once again, at the beginning of the season for them. Yeah, Josh, what do you think? I, I agree with everything Adrian said. I mean, especially from the, the Real perspective of what could have been an interesting season, but big players stepping up at big times, meaning Benzema has been outstanding and and Vinny Jr. as well. But looking at that Barca side, like like we said, I mean, the defense is something that is the most, in, in my eyes, like Adrian said, the most important thing to figure out. I mean, Eric Garcia is one who's supposed to come in and hopefully kind of change the way that they're, they're playing. But I mean, he at one point had more minutes, I think for, uh, or more appearances for the national side than he even did at club level. So he's still very young. And in my eyes, it's been a big wake up call. La Liga has, but uh, the big thing for me is when they get players back. I mean, they started the season with Brathwaite and Griezmann out wide with Depay in the middle. They're, they're going to get those players back. They are lacking a number nine. And I think if Aguero, like you saw at the end of that game can actually get healthy, which is a big, if 
he's gonna have a he's gonna have attacking talent all around him when Dembele, Fati, and Depay can get the balls to a natural clinical number nine. I think I think Barca can compete for that fourth spot, but I do I do think it's gonna be a, a tight race. And I think if they get Champions League, they're just gonna be able to do it. Yeah, Filippo, final point from you. Yeah, I think when we look into Real Madrid and Barcelona nowadays, they're definitely not the Real Madrid and Barcelonas that we saw in the past decade, right? That dominated the Champions League. We saw Messi and Ronaldo win all those Ballon d'Ors playing for them. But right now, if we have to look into it, Real Madrid is still a very competitive team, very strong and with some very talented, promising players. Not that Barcelona doesn't have promising players. We do have quite a few there as well. Uh, we talk about Gavi, Pedri and many others. But I think Real Madrid is more well positioned to still be a dominant team in La Liga and still compete in the Champions League. And I wouldn't say they're the favorites to win, but I wouldn't count them out. Now, Barcelona, I put them at almost 0% chance of winning a Champions League. And I think they'll make it to top four in La Liga and qualify to Champions League. I just don't think they have any good odds of winning a trophy this season unless they pull out a Copa del Rey or something like that. Here's my final question for the round before we wrap this up. And then I'm going to start with you, Filippo. Is Ronald Koeman unsackable? I don't think he's unsackable, but I think he's he will be giving a lot more opportunities than maybe he deserves with this team. Josh? No, he's definitely not unsackable. I think they're, they're ready to pull the trigger. I just think, I personally think that they have a manager in mind, whether it is Xavi, that's the big, the big rumor. But I think they have someone in mind, and, and until they can get that, that manager in, I think that they feel comfortable just going on along with Ron Coleman for the, for the time being and seeing hopefully he can get them to the at least Champions League and then when they're able to part ways with him easily at the end of the season, they can get the man they want in. But if push comes to shove and they make this season even worse, I think they, they will pull the trigger. Adrian? I think that he is largely being protected by the payout that would be owed to him if he was to get sacked. Because other than that, Laporta has been very open and very public with his, you know, assessing his options. There was a documentary that came out in the Netherlands surrounding Koeman in this past summer, um, where he basically spoke about how he spoke with Laporta. Laporta said, look, I can't tell you if we're going to keep you. I'm going to try and find someone else. But if I don't find someone else... We're going to keep you. And so I think that ultimately they would have sacked him by now if they could afford to pay him out. I think that his he would have been owed about eight to 10 million if they were to terminate his contract. So he's largely protected by that, I think. So definitely not unsackable if we ignore the financial side of things. Best job in the world is to be a football executive. You do bad, you get paid out. Um, you know, that's why we should all probably give up being a journalist or content producer and just head to the world of football you do badly you still get money that's just how it is well guys let's wrap it up here uh thanks once again for for joining us and uh until next next time bye bye